Today on the Daily Scoop podcast from the Scoop News Group. Why the Department of Commerce chose a department-wide approach to deliver zero trust. And advice for CIOs on their zero trust journey. It's Thursday, July 25th, 2023. Welcome to the Daily Scoop podcast, where you'll hear the latest news and trends facing government leaders. I'm the host of the Daily Scoop podcast, Billy Mitchell. Here's what's happening now. Senate lawmakers have introduced a bipartisan bill that would create an oversight board to review major acquisitions by the Department of Veterans Affairs. Senate Veterans Affairs Committee Chairman John Tester and Ranking Member Jerry Moran last week introduced the Acquisition Review Board and Cost Assessment Act of 2023. That new legislation would create an independent oversight board to review major acquisitions early in the agency's decision-making process and also if a contract is not in compliance. A number of major companies building artificial intelligence software have signed on to a new set of voluntary commitments to oversee how the technology is used. The effort led by the White House includes committing to pre-release internal and external security testing for AI models and forming insider threat safeguards and cybersecurity investments focused on unreleased and proprietary model weights, which serve a critical role in training AI neural networks. The seven companies participating in the effort are Amazon and Anthropic, Google, Inflection, Meta, Microsoft, and OpenAI. And on the topic of AI, the Government Accountability Office will conduct a review of potential harm caused by generative AI tools like ChatGPT. The Chief Government Auditor's plans to assess the technology follow requests sent by Senators Ed Markey and Gary Peters to the GAO Comptroller last month. You can read more about these stories and more at fedscoop.com. With the federal government on a large-scale journey to zero trust, many large departments and agencies are taking federated approaches in modernizing their cybersecurity. But the Department of Commerce is bucking that trend and instead adopting zero trust in a unified way across its 13 bureaus and many offices. Department of Commerce CIO Andre Mendez is leading that effort and spoke with me about why he chose a department-wide construct for zero trust instead of letting each bureau agency chart its own course. And he explained how commerce is measuring success and discussed what comes next. Andre, welcome to the podcast. Hey, thanks, Billy. Glad to be here. So I'm really excited to talk to you about Zero Trust. I know it's something you've spoken a lot about at some of our events in the past, uh, and you're taking a very unique approach. So why don't we start with how the Department of Commerce is approaching Zero Trust? Uh, What is it you're focused on getting done here in the near near term and how you're strategizing your Zero Trust? So, you know, it it became very obvious at an early stage uh, of my tenure here that, uh, you know, with the number of budgets of the bureaus that we have, 13, uh, and their incredibly diverse missions, uh, that I was facing an environment that was completely siloed. Uh, and so when the time came for making a decision about a zero trust implementation, um, you know, we could have gone two routes. One, to appropriate some of the money from uh, Congress uh, on a pro rata basis and, and deliver it to the, to the bureaus and let them go about uh, doing, uh, you know, their own solutions and, and deploying their own systems or bring everybody together, bring the best and the brightest uh, in the cybersecurity arena from all of the bureaus into a shared workspace and delineate a zero trust architecture for the entire department. 
I felt like from an economy of scale standpoint, that made eminent sense. From an ease of training, it made eminent sense. From a manageability, um, you know, in terms of uh, incident response, for example, it made eminent sense. Uh, as it stands right now, we have an enterprise uh, SOC uh, that services every bureau and that is uh, dealing with all of the, uh, all of the, uh, the traffic and, and metrics and telemetry for all of the bureaus. And so it made sense that if we had that in place, that if we also had the same EDR tools, if we also had the same ICAM tools, if we had a shared stack for the entire tech, uh, zero trust architecture, um, that we could provide better service, that we would have better control over the lowest common denominator across all of the bureaus, and therefore ensure that we were operating at a level that was acceptable and uh, far higher in general than if we had gone with uh, disparate efforts. Into a certain degree, this built into our previous uh, um, activity of uh, consolidating uh, network traffic and internet access traffic and MTIPS traffic with NOAA's N-Wave pro uh, uh, project. Because at that time then, we have the centralization of the telemetry of the and the traffic at the NOAA uh, control center. And now we have the ESOC uh, that, that looks at all that traffic also consolidated. And so if we have a, a shared system and, and the set of tools, that really can optimize that entire situation. Also, in terms of economies of scale and negotiation with the vendors, I think that we have been extremely successful. Uh, we had a very, very aggressive negotiation with Sentinel One, which was our selection uh, for an EDR tool, and so successful that we actually got better pricing than GSA did. And GSA has now adopted our pricing as their pricing for the rest of the government. And so I think that there are uh, plenty of opportunity there for cost savings or cost avoidance. Uh, in addition to the fact that we now have a cadre of individuals that is very specialized uh, in and, and knowledgeable in terms of the de deployment of Sentinel One, and that knowledge can be sent from bureau to bureau to bureau to bureau as they go through their implementations, instead of them having to rediscover all of the nuances of a particular EDR solution, because there's all the lessons learned from the previous bureaus that can be applied to the current bureaus and the future bureaus that are going through that deployment. So an enormous amount of advantages, I believe, to this particular approach. And, uh, you know, quite honestly, I hope that we have such a, a great um, uh, implementation that will become a case study uh, that uh, might be uh, useful to other government agencies and yeah, also yeah. corporations. That's great. And, and I mean, as, as you've sort of described, a lot of agencies, larger agencies or departments have those individual bureaus or sub agencies going in their own direction. Um, but you're, you're obviously taking a different approach. Was there any part of you at, at the beginning that thought about going in that direction and decided against it? Or you, you were always kind of looking at department wide? Quite honestly, Billy, the moment that I looked at the amount of money that, uh, that we were going to get from, uh, from Congress for this effort, I made the decision that that's what we needed to do. And I will tell you, this was not an easy process. Uh, uh, we went to the budget team at, at Commerce and said, we want to do this centrally. We want to run it centrally. And the immediate reaction was, no, Congress is never going to give the, the money to the Department of Commerce. They want to put the money in the front lines, in the bureaus, rather than give it to the bureaucrats at Department of Commerce. 
And I pushed back and, you know, and basically said, no, there's all these reasons, which as just a lot of them I enumerated for you, uh, why we should do this this way. And, uh, and, and quite honestly, there's no difference between the bureaucrats at the Department of Commerce and the bureaucrats at the bureaus. So we need to make sure that we have a rational approach to this. And so they said, okay, we'll present it to OMB and say what they say. OMB had exactly the same reaction as the budget department. You know, no, 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 Congress will want to give the money to the bureaus. And I pushed back against uh, OMB and, uh, and again, with the same argumentation. And they decided to give it a try. And so we went to Congress and Congress had exactly the same answer. We don't want to give money to you. We want to give money to the bureaus. And we explained all of the reasons why this should not be the case. And they relented. And so it took three gateways uh, being passed uh, of, um, of no's in order to get to yes. But now we're at yes. And so we're implementing. And I'm very happy about that. That's great. Well, I'm sure they want to see some measurement of success. And that's my next question. How are you measuring success? So, uh, you know, in, in a lot of ways, uh, success is driven by, by adoption and by acceptance, right? And so we have brought all of the bureaus together in working groups, uh, initially for the entire zero trust architecture to delineate the entire architecture. And now, on a case-by-case basis with the solutions that we're bringing to the table. And the first one that we tackled was EDR. We brought people who had expertise in the EDR field from the bureaus into a working group with a chair, uh, co-chairs, one by uh, you know uh, Ron Ringold in the OCRM team here, uh, and the other one, a bureau, uh, uh, a bureau talent. And so they went through the delineations, they had presentations from the vendors, and they made a decision to go with a particular vendor that was uh, agreed to by the working group with all the bureau representations. And so we started implementing that. For some of that, the, the choice was easy and immediate. For example, with the office of the secretary, okay, you know, we made the decision that's what we were going to do. Uh, and so we replaced a, uh, a legacy uh, environment with Sentinel-1. Uh, but then with the small bureaus, it became very obvious to them that because CISA was paying for the first two years of this implementation, and potentially three years if we got to 80% of the endpoints, that it was going to be a cost avoidance for them, that they could get rid of their old tools uh, and get a state-of-the-art tool because Sentinel-1 is one of the highest rated ones. I'm not uh, you know, advocating for, for them, but you know, that's one of the reasons why we chose them. Uh, and so for the small bureaus, it became a very easy proposition, relatively easy implementation, substantial amount of cost savings, let's go. Um, but we have uh, come to the table now with the large bureaus where the implementation is far more difficult, of course, and they're running pilots uh, and they are at least going to run it in parallel uh, to start with, which I think it's perfectly reasonable and it will allow us to get to that 80% threshold that has is a kicking in the third year. And so, and I believe quite honestly that at the end of that, with the pricing that we got for that particular solution, that will be cost advantageous for them to migrate to that solution. So then we tackle the next one. So we, you know, in terms of EDR, I think that we're doing we're we're in an excellent fashion, uh, and and the metrics are very good because I believe that over the next uh, two months we'll be at 100% for the majority of the bureaus, and then with uh, with nascent uh, and fast moving uh, pilots for the rest. Um, then we move to the next item, which was ICAM, uh, and again it was uh, you know was a tough decision. It was a tough decision because there were several different uh, solutions that were deployed throughout the environment. But we brought the, the bureaus together and they agreed on a vendor 
in this particular case, Okta. Uh, and so we've started the implementation of Okta. We just finished, uh, you know, penetration testing for our you know, for the instance, uh, and we started implementing OS, uh, the Office of the Secretary, uh, with Okta. And uh, and then we're going to move into the other to the other bureaus. Um, USPTO is already running Okta, so that will be a relatively easy implementation. Uh, and the one that will be potentially uh, much longer, uh, you know, uh, time frame for implementation is NOAA. Uh, they're running Forge Rock in-house, uh, and they're waiting for uh, for um, us to implement uh, and to implement the interfaces with the other bureaus, uh, and then uh, consider moving into uh, into uh, Okta as well. So uh, I think that that's going very well. The metrics for that are excellent, and we've had briefings with both um, uh, OMB and the Hill, and they were very very pleased with the progress. As I as am I. <laughs> So I'd imagine, you know, this is no easy task and I imagine there's challenges you faced. Um, and, you know, one of the things I hope this podcast can do is, um, you know, spotlight, uh, you know, how you faced those challenges and got over, you know, got past them to some degree um, in, in a sense of giving advice to other CIOs across the federal landscape. So um, if we can dilute sort of those two questions into one, you know, what are some challenges you face? And as you're on this journey and, you know, other CIOs are taking a similar journey, what kind of advice would you give based on those challenges and things you've learned along the way? Well, I mean, we've already talked about the challenges in getting approval for this approach. Okay. So if you get pushback, point to commerce and say, hey, they're doing it, they're doing it well. Uh, and so it works. So let us do the same thing. Uh, of course, that's the external challenge, but the internal challenge is actually probably much larger, right? Uh, for better or for worse, a lot of these uh, bureaus still operate as fiefdoms, uh, and uh, and I don't want to be overly negative on that, right? Uh, you know, because some fiefdoms were really good, uh, and they uh, they had a lot of progress to civilization, uh, but they are they they have their own environment and they operate it. They operate it very well, um, but they tend to resist change into a common architecture. Uh, one because uh, it's it's moving away from a point of comfort. Uh, you know, and that's sort of the change management. Sometimes we're asking them to move away from uh, from architectures that are not necessarily bad, right? Uh, that are operating properly, uh, and asking them to disrupt their environment to a certain degree. But what we're asking them is to consider the larger equation uh, with all of the factors I've already talked about: economies of scale, sharing of talent, uh, you know, lessons learned, and all of that. Um, so that they can move into a better place. Now, all of these systems that we're deploying have to be software as a service, cloud-based, so that we remove all of the administration associated with it, except for the, the organizational administration of end users and so on and so forth, right? And so that has to be part of the equation. And in a lot of ways, that already obviates some of the expenses that they have uh, with servers in the data center or servers in the cloud. Uh, with uh, with administration of those servers, administration of that infrastructure. So there is that benefit there. So they see that. Uh, but they're also moving sometimes away from something they know very well into something that they know is good, but they don't know as well. And so we need to kind of overcome that resistance that is uh, one, sometimes pragmatic uh, and sometimes not so pragmatic. And so we need to continue to push forward the benefits of doing this and the benefits of working in unison in order to create a better environment. Because one of the important things that we establish is that we want the bureaus of the uh, Department of Commerce to be able to collaborate with each other, to have data interchanges, 
to have uh, live interfaces uh, between systems. And if we do that in an environment that is totally and completely fractured, effectively what we're doing is we're putting everybody at the mercy of the lowest common denominator. And that does not, uh, does not appeal to people. So we need to have an environment where the lowest common denominator is very, very high um, and therefore is acceptable to everybody. So uh, th those are some of the, uh, so some of the obstacles. Um, you need to sell the solution. You need to sell the solution from a financial standpoint, from an operational standpoint, uh, and from a unification of purposes across uh, departments uh, so that you can have better collaboration, easier collaboration, safer collaboration. Um, but at the end of the day, this is about relationships and establishing relationships with, uh, with, uh, with your CIOs at the bureau levels um, and organizational unit levels and convince them to come on board to what is a pragmatic solution, but is often a deviation from what they've been doing. That's fascinating. Andre, as we close out, um, curious, you know, you've talked a lot today about progress made and a little bit about, you know, uh, some things you're looking forward to next in terms of the ICAM solutions and whatnot. But, you know, as we look forward, uh, can you give us more details on what you expect to come next in the zero trust environment? Sure. We uh, we are currently evaluating and getting very close to a decision on a SASE platform. And so that's going to be the next step that we are going to, to implement. Um, and, and that will come with its challenges as well. Uh, there are two or three very well-established solutions out there uh, that, that, uh, that make that, uh, you know, at the same time, easier and more difficult, right? Easier because we know that there are three solutions or at least that uh, if we deploy them, we can't go wrong, okay? Um, yeah, a little more difficult because you have to make a selection. And if we, if we want to have this, uh, this uh, unified environment, you have to make a selection. So sometimes you look at what is already deployed in the bureaus that will be less disruptive, uh, you know, how they are deployed in terms of, uh, you know, cloud strategy and software as a service type strategy. That is very important to us. I mean, we will not deploy anything uh, in this environment that is not SASE, that is, uh, I'm sorry, that is not SAS. Uh, and that is not uh, entirely cloud-based. That is not FedRAMP high. That's another, you know, uh, you know, uh, requirement, absolute requirement. Um, and uh, and also that does not allow us to have a certain delineation between bureaus, right? Bureaus want that uh, they do not have a problem with us having visibility into the situation, but they don't want anybody external to the bureau to be able to implement changes that could potentially be operationally disruptive and therefore, you know, create, uh, create a serious problem, uh, you know, for their mission. And that's perfectly understandable. We've seen cases in the past where external uh, changes, uh, you know, unwittingly uh, and without any bad intention um, result in operational difficulties uh, or potential exposures in terms of operational difficulties. And we do, wanna, do not wanna run their risk. Our missions, uh, you know, overall are too important uh, for that type of situation to be able to, um, to afford it to be allowed to creep in where somebody without the full complement of knowledge uh, would be able to do a change like that. As a matter of fact, in some of our systems, even within the bureaus, uh, there are changes to systems that cannot be executed by one individual alone, that have to be executed by two individuals operating separately. Uh, and independently and uh, with the, the similar purpose in order for that to occur. So we want to make sure that those situations are preserved 
and that there's no potential for anybody from the outside to introduce the operational disruption into a bureau. So those are all of the, uh, of the decision points that we need to make in terms of the selections. But we're gonna to continue to go systematically, methodically through all of the different spaces of the zero trust architecture until we are complete. And of course, as you know, it's a journey. So you never complete, um, you know, you start over. Uh, but at least, uh, you know, because there will all be uh, software as a service implementations, we will not be dealing with the upgrades and all of this up on a constant basis. And that is an enormous relief of funding and resources that can then be applied to the application layer where the value is so that we can move our mission forward. Well, Andre, always uh, really interesting to hear your thoughts on this stuff and uh, best of luck on the journey that you you have ahead of you. And uh, again, thanks so much for your time as always. Oh, always a pleasure, Billy. Thank you so much for giving me the opportunity. Take care. Have a great day. You can learn more about Zero Trust Security at thedailyscooppodcast.com. The Daily Scoop podcast is available on all podcast platforms. If you've already rated the podcast on your platform of choice, thanks so much. High ratings and good reviews of the show help more people to find it. The Daily Scoop podcast is a production of the Scoop News Group in Washington, D.C. Adam Butler and Carlin Fisher help put the show together, and the entire Scoop News Group team contributes. I'm your host, as always, Billy Mitchell. Thanks so much for listening.